So this week we continue in our series looking at um, the Holy Spirit and Christian character. And we're just going to begin by reminding ourselves of the fruit of the Spirit, because they are the verses that we've been considering. We're taking week by week um, one or two of the, of the, um, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're considering how our character can reflect those. So the verses that we're taking is um, from Galatians chapter 5. It's just two verses, verses 22 and 23. Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So this week, the two, the two aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and I do say they're aspects of one fruit. This is, it's not plural, it's not fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is all of those things combined. So the two aspects of the fruit that we're looking at this week is patience and kindness. Now, I looked at that at first, and I sort of thought, right... How am I going to preach on those two? How can I combine those two? And I thought, well, it's quite wordy, patience and kindness. I don't sort of roll off the tongue one after the other. So I spent a little bit of a time um, almost fulfilling a childhood dream, which was to be a Sun headline writer and, and just, just have the job of playing with words and coming up with, with puns and, um, and, and, and combining words. But I failed miserably. I couldn't think of one. I thought, I can't find a new word. So eventually, I went from, from one end of the academic spectrum, the, the Sun headline writing, to the other. And um, I, I went back to the, to the Greek. Um, now, I don't speak Greek. Don't be impressed by that. This was just, um, I just turned to, to um, a Vine's dictionary, and sure enough, there it had a word. Now, it had the two words for patience and for kindness. Now, the definition of, of, of the Greek word for kindness was simply kindness. So I thought, okay, that's... Fair enough, that's uh, pretty much, it's like the ROM seal, it does what it says on the tin. But patience was interesting, because the Greek word for patience is, is macrothumia. Sounds like a disease, doesn't it? But it's not. Macrothumia is the word that is used in the fruit of the spirit description by Paul um, that we have interpreted as patience. Now, that's interesting, because sometimes patience can seem a bit, a bit flimsy. Be patient. Just endure. Just, just put up with. But actually, macrothumia, this is self-restraint in the face of provocation. This is having the courage to stand up to attack and to refuse to back down no matter what is thrown at you. This is the opposite of anger. This is self-control. It is also the opposite of despondency. So it's the ability to, to stay optimistic, to stay positive in the face of negativity. And in the Greek language, macrothumia was very strongly associated with hope. So we begin to realise that actually our word patience isn't really sufficient for macrothumia. It's the best we can do. I found it interesting Sometimes when you go back to the Greek, it just confuses you. It's just a bit awkward. But actually, I found macrothumia very, very helpful in understanding 
how we can show patience in our Christian character. Because patience is so important, isn't it? So many people rush into their reactions, their actions and reactions. We can rush in our speech. When we hear something, we can say, we can say something back immediately that later we realise was wrong. In James chapter 4, James highlights the dangers of misusing the tongue. He says how, how important it is to try and, and tame the tongue. He uses the analogy of a, a rudder on a ship or a spark starting a forest fire, how the tongue is a small part of the body, but actually it can have a huge implication on the way that others see us if we misuse it. If we're patient in the way that we use, use what we say, we use our language, we use our tongue, if we're patient in that, then the fruit of the Spirit is more evident. I saw an example of this on a beach in France when I was younger. My brother and I were on holiday there with mum and dad, and we made some friends, and, um, and we were playing on the beach one day, and it must have been about 12, 12 1 o'clock, around lunchtime, and our friend's uh, father came out. We were on a campsite. He came out of his tent, and he came over, and he said to, said to his boys, Boys, lunch is ready. Come on. And they said, oh, okay, we'll be there in a minute. We carried on playing football. Five minutes later, boys, come on. Yeah, okay, Dad, yeah, yeah, just, just a minute. Anyway, another five minutes went by, and eventually he came out, and he walked over, and he said, right, come now. This is the third time, come now. And they said, yeah, yeah, hang on, hang on. No, come now. Oh, Dad, 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 just, just a couple more sex. Please, 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 come on, just a couple more sex. He said, no, boys, no more sex. Come now. <laughs> you can imagine the silence that fell across the entire beach. I'm pretty sure that if he had been a little bit more patient and had thought slightly more about the way that he used his tongue, he might have phrased that in a slightly more appropriate manner. <laughs> slightly more serious note, I don't know if you've seen a report on the BBC website this week talking about um, the Matthew Shepherd story, a young man who um, his ashes have recently been, uh, been interred um, in Washington, but he was murdered in Wyoming. Um, this was back at the end of the 1990s, and uh, he, was, he was a gay student, and he got robbed one night, and the robbery, uh, whether it was ever intended to be a murder, no one's quite sure, but eventually he was killed. And um, at his funeral, a Baptist minister turned up with some of his congregation and stood there shouting at the mourners that because the boy was gay, he was now burning in hell. That's a Baptist minister. I've had people text me this week saying, how do you respond to that? And you know, it's, where is the kindness? Where is the patience? You see, if the fruit of the Spirit includes patience and kindness, then no matter what we think of the circumstances, our reaction can still be Christian. Our character can still be positively Christian. For me, that Baptist minister reacted in a thoroughly unchristian way. Regardless of what you think of the issue... You have to think, how would Jesus respond to this? Would he be standing there shouting at, at the parents of, who have just lost a child, who are mourning, who are about to, about to say their last good... Is that a Christian way? No. Be in no doubt, that is not a Christian response. The book of James also says, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I wonder if that minister has ever gone back and read those verses and reconsidered 
whether or not he acted in the best way that he could have done. So patience and kindness are vital to an effective Christian character. They should be, they should be at the top of our, our, our mind all the time. Am I, am I actually, am I responding the way that my gut tells me to or the way that my God tells me to? And of course, patience is important for other reasons as well. We never know what's around the corner. Kindness and patience can make sure that we are prepared. This week down in Cornwall, um, Joe and I have, uh, and Timothy have, have been on holiday down there. We had a lovely time. And um, one day we went to a place called uh, uh, Gunwallow Church Cove. It's in a little um, village called Gunwallow, and there's a church there and a beach. It took them ages to think of the name, obviously. But Gunwallow Church Cove has got this, this tiny ancient church um, separating two parts of the beach, and there's a graveyard around it. And we got there, and, um, and we'd been on the beach for a little while, and we decided we'd scoot around the church and go to the other beach. And I said to Joe, look, just give me five minutes. I'll meet you on the other beach. I'm going to go into the churchyard. Now, Joe knows as well as I do that five minutes means half an hour. So I went into this graveyard, and I find graveyards fascinating because you can learn so much about an area and about, just about life, by looking at the headstones, by reading some of the inscriptions and some of the stories that are told. There was a, um, a grave of a, a Luftwaffe pilot from the Second World War that was a, a, a tiny little headstone hidden away in the corner, but it was very respectfully kept, and, and I, I, I looked at that for a while, and I found that moving. You know, love your enemy. It's, it's what we're called to do. Um, but there was another gravestone of a 12-year-old boy and it told the story of how in, the, in 1940, at the start of the Blitz, he'd been evacuated out of London, North London, and he'd been sent down to Cornwall to be kept safe. And he'd made friends with another 12-year-old boy down there, and one day they'd taken a boat, and they'd gone to, to play in the sea. And uh, there was an unmarked minefield, and the boat hit a mine, and the two 12-year-old boys were both killed. They'd been sent there to, to keep safe, and actually, they were anything but. You see, we never know what's around the corner. We can act with the very best intentions, but, but circumstances can still conspire against us. And for that reason, we should never part without kind words. So many, so many times you, you hear a, a couple or, or kids or, or whoever, whatever age, having an argument. And it finishes on a bitter note. And one of them walks away having won and feeling a little bit, yeah, I've got a nice word. And the other one walks away feeling, oh, no, I'll get him next time. But of course, there might not be a next time. We live in a world where just crossing the road can kill you. We've heard today of, of someone who used to be part of this church has just heard that actually the life they thought they had before them is going to be cut brutally short. We never know what the future holds. And so if we, if we focus on, on winning the argument, actually, that might be the worst thing we could do. We should never, ever part without kind words. Because they could be your last. In his book, Simply Christian, Tom Wright, former Bishop of Durham, I think now he's Professor of New Testament Studies at St Andrews, he, he wrote that love can be felt but not expressed, which I thought, oh, I'm not sure I agree with that. But then he went on to say that actually kindness is the enactment of love. If I walk up to a homeless guy in the high street and, and give him a, a, a cup of tea and a, a hot meal and a train ticket to a hostel somewhere, 
then he won't think, oh, I'm really loved. He'll think, that was kind. Kindness is the, is the, is the enactment of love. And so we should be positively kind to one another all the time. To everyone we meet, kindness should be, should be what they experience when they, when they speak to us, when they spend time with us. Because our motivation might be love, but we, we act that out in acts of kindness. Kindness is, is, a, is the primary way that we, we grow, that we develop rich, deep, long-lasting relationships. And of course, the ultimate act of kindness is forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, Paul writes, And be kind to one another, forgiving each other, as in Christ God forgave you. What's the ultimate act of kindness? Forgiveness. Why do we say that? Because that is the ultimate gift that God gave us. Is God patient as well? Yes, of course he is. How do we know that? Because that offer of kindness isn't now or, now or never. Say yes now or you'll regret it forever. Actually, that's an open-ended promise. God is patient with us. How many times do we, 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 we profess our faith, we leave church on a Sunday on fire for God, and then on the Monday we suddenly realise that we've done something or said something that has let him down. Our God is patient, and our God is kind, and we are called to reflect him in our lives. So often we can react angrily. We can react with bitterness. We can follow our pride. And of course, if we're patient, if we just take that moment to consider our response, if we just take a breath and then respond, that can make a world of difference. Earlier this year, we had a staff away day and... um, uh, we went over to Mulberry House, and it was, it was led brilliantly. And one of the things, one of the ground rules that was set out at this, the start of this, um, this away day um, was that there was to be no tailgating. And I sat there, and I thought, what does that mean? And thankfully, the, um, the, 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 the person leading the day explained it. And they said, tailgating is when you listen to someone talking, and you decide what your response is going to be, and you stop listening to what they're saying because you're waiting for them to draw breath, and that's your moment when you jump in and you make your point. And that person never gets to finish their point, or they never get the proper answer to their, to their question or their observation, because you've jumped in and you've made your point, and suddenly someone else has been waiting to, to listen to part of what you've said, and then they've made up their mind, and they jump in, and then, and then before you know it, all you get is a series of, of statements, one after the other, one after the other. Things get lost, things don't get properly answered and considered, and people leave a conversation feeling that they weren't listened to. And that was really important for me. And I know that in the office we have tried, I wouldn't say we've necessarily succeeded, but we've tried to implement that. So <laughs> sometimes, as you can imagine, sitting there with, with Gary and Ian, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of talking that goes on. And it's good stuff. It's, it's great. We'll be discussing a, a passage or something like that. And um, and it's, it's brilliant. There's opinion after opinion and, and statement and scripture. And, and then you come away thinking, wow, I wish I could remember half of what was just said, because that was fascinating. 
since we've tried to stop tailgating, there's been a lot more reflection. It's been a lot more helpful. It's taught me a, a valuable lesson in the art of conversation. I hope that my Christian character has improved slightly as a result of that. I hope that when people have a conversation with me, they now leave feeling that I have properly listened. I haven't simply been waiting for them to finish their sentence so that I can dive in. Patience and kindness. So I spent a long time, as I say, trying to come up with a new word, and I failed. I couldn't come up with one. But after I'd gone through the whole process of, of writing the sermon and, and thinking about what I was going to say, it struck me, we've already got a word for this. We've already got a word for this, because if, if, if kindness is the enactment of love, and if patience is this self-restraint in the face of provocation, is the, the opposite of despondency, if patience is, is this, this hope, then we've already got a word for that. Grace. Grace. That's the word. We used to say grace at school. We used to have school dinners, and um, I went to a C of E school. And before, <coughs> excuse me, before um, uh, we ate, um, you can tell the thought of school dinners now even makes me gag. Um, <laughs> but before we ate, we'd sit there and we'd have a tray in front of us. <laughs> And one of, the, one of the midday assistants, or dinner ladies, as they used to be known, um, would lead us in grace. And the grace went like this. For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Amen. And that, just, that was just something you said. But that's not grace. Because in effect, what you're doing is you're sitting there saying, I've got this plate of slop in front of me. I'm not really looking forward to eating it. Lord, make me thankful, because I'm not. Make me thankful. That's not grace. Grace is saying, I appreciate the fact that there are people, there are children dying in this world because they haven't got a morsel to put in their belly. Grace is saying that I appreciate the fact that, that someone's paid for me to have this meal, that someone has cooked this meal, that someone has served this meal, that someone makes sure that I eat. Someone's going to sit there and, and almost force it down my throat, not as a form of torture, although that's what we thought at the time, but actually out of love. That would be a proper grace. I'm not sure if that grace is still said in schools now, and, and I certainly wouldn't discourage it, because at the end of the day, it is an acknowledgement of God's provision for us, so I just want to make that clear. But it's not grace. Whenever we talk about grace, I always think of uh, John Newton and Amazing Grace. I love that song. But I heard a story which disturbed me slightly um, a couple of weeks ago. I've not been able to verify this. I've not been able to find it in a, in a book or anything. But it was, it was uh, mentioned by a lecturer at college who knows their stuff. So I'm, I'm prepared to accept, um, accept that it's, it's a true story. Um, John Newton, the story goes, was on a slave ship one day. He was a slave trader before he became converted and found faith. And um, he was on his slave ship and... The sea was slightly rough, and they'd been up all night, um, him and a few other crew members, and they'd hit the rum, and he'd been drinking quite heavily. And he woke up in the morning, the sea was still a bit choppy, he had a stinking hangover, so he went up on deck to get some fresh air. And there was a slave lady, an African lady, and she had a child with her, a young child, a baby toddler. 
and the child was crying. And John Newton, with a hangover, the last thing he wanted to be hearing was the screaming and crying of a small child. And so the story goes, he went over to the lady, he tore off the child from her and threw it overboard. When I heard that story, I was pretty disturbed. I found it difficult. Do I want to sing Amazing Grace after that? Do I want to celebrate the guy's work? It was pretty unpleasant. I spent several days thinking this over, and the conclusion I came to is that there's a huge lesson there. You see, we, we say how wonderful it is. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, what wonderful words. But actually, the wonder is that he could write Amazing Grace, how sweet the, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. He could write that knowing what he had done. He could write that because he understood what true grace was. He could write that because he knew that he didn't deserve to be forgiven. He didn't deserve to, to, to have salvation, but he knew that through God's grace he had received it. And so he then went on to try to live a life that reflected the grace of his God. And so what I take from that story is that if God can forgive something like that, he can forgive me. He can forgive you. God's patient kindness knows no limits, and nor should ours. Hebrews 12.15 reminds us of the importance of grace. See to it that no one amongst you misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up and defiles many. If we don't act with grace, if we don't speak with grace, if grace is not the embodiment of our Christian character, then we run the risk of leaving the door open for Satan to come in, to grow that bitter root and to rise up and defile many. If patience and kindness, along with the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that we'll be hearing about in other weeks, if they are at the centre of our Christian character, then grace will be there too. The grace that can endure under provocation. The grace that is the opposite of anger, the opposite of despondency. The grace that brings with it hope. The grace that is so kind that it never, ever allows us to leave a conversation or a room or, or, or any situation bitterly, but instead to leave it with love. The grace that means that we constantly, we constantly reflect our faith, reflect our saviour, reflect our Christ in all that we say and all that we do. That, that is grace. That will be there. If we remember the grace that we receive from God. So as we go into our working week, I don't know what situations you're going to find yourself in. I don't know who you're going to meet and the challenges you're going to experience. I don't know the provocation that's going to be thrown at you. I don't know the mockery and ridicule or the, the celebration and congratulation that you're going to receive. I have no idea. But react with patience and kindness. Show love 
Give where it's appropriate. Always, always, always make sure that you're not like that minister in America whose reaction to the death, the murder of that gay student was to go to the funeral and to to shout in the faces of the parents that he's burning in hell. What right does he have? What What would he have said to John Newton? Would he have said, let me tell you about this amazing grace? I suspect not. So let's not make that mistake. Let's make sure that we conduct ourselves in a way that bears the fruit of the Spirit in everything that we do and a way that helps others through us come to know Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are an awesome God and we give thanks that you sent your son to this world to live amongst us, to experience the things that we experience, to be tempted in every way, to show us how to, how to react, how to respond, not to be a doormat, to be walked over by the world, but instead one who endured who maintained his, his, his composure, his Christian composure in the face of intense provocation. When he was rejected, he stood firm. When he was questioned, he answered. When he was tried, he stood patiently. And when he was called to give his life, he did so the ultimate act of kindness, a gift to us. So Lord, we pray that you will help us to examine ourselves, help us to look in the mirror, help us to to realise the times in our lives when we have failed to react with kindness and patience, when our character has been flawed. Father, we pray that you will help us to realise those moments, to confess our sin, to know your true, unending forgiveness, and then to make sure that we go back out into the world refined, improved, closer to you. And Lord, we know we won't always get it right, but we pray that you will keep this in our minds. Patience and kindness are so important because they lead us to grace. And we know that through your grace, we receive so much. Every blessing that we receive is a a result of the grace of God. Father, help us to appreciate that in our everyday lives. Help us to give thanks on a regular basis. As Kevin said earlier, We are called to give prayers of thanksgiving, to remember there is nothing we can do to earn a blessing, but you give blessing freely. So Father, help us to be the beacons that shine for you in our community, in our country. Help us to reflect your glory to those that we see. 
Help us to endure patiently. Help us to, to act out the love that we feel for people. Help us to live in your grace forever. In the name of Jesus, Christ our Lord. Amen.